This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Jay Early. Jay Early is a transformational psychologist, group leader, psychotherapist, teacher, and theorist. He's a specialist in internal family systems therapy, or IFS, and is the author of numerous books. He teaches a variety of classes and workshops applying IFS to specific psychological issues, such as procrastination communication, relationships, and the inner critic. With Sounds True, Jay has released an audio learning series called Self-Therapy, Transform Stuck Parts of Yourself into Inner Resources of Strength, Love, and Freedom, and also a new book with co-author Bonnie Weiss, Freedom from Your Inner Critic, a Self-Therapy Approach. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Jay and I spoke about the concept of the self as it is understood in IFS and how we can learn to relate to different parts from the perspective of our true self. We also talked about the role of what is known in IFS as protectors and the discovery inside of ourselves of certain frozen parts that are not in our consciousness, which are known in IFS as exiles. We also talked about how to work, heal, and transform these exiled parts of ourselves and how these exiled parts can actually unburden themselves from whatever they're carrying. Here's my conversation with Jay Early. Jay, I'd love to know here at the outset if you could give us an overview. Now, I know in a way that's a big thing to ask, but just big brush stroke like overview of internal family systems therapy for people who aren't familiar with it. Okay. Um, so the the basic idea is that we all have different parts of ourselves. Um, like... You know, there's some famous parts like the inner critic or the inner child. Um, and IFS, Internal Family Systems Therapy, has taken this to a very sophisticated level in that um, it's if you actually go inside and start asking people to access their different parts and get to know them, you really discover that 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 we all have a wide variety of different parts. 
uh, in different roles, some of which are healthy roles for us, some which some of which are problematic for us. And um, so IFS um, has developed a a pretty sophisticated step-by-step method for helping people to work with their parts. And uh, a key element of that is recognizing that in addition, that in addition to the different parts that we all have uh, what IFS calls the self, which you can think of as your core self or your spiritual center. It's the, it's the place of compassion, open curiosity, uh, connectedness, equanimity. Uh, so it's similar to um, many of the, you know, the goals of many of the spiritual um, traditions. And except it's not, the goal is not to be uh, enlightened in that sense. It's more like um, an aspect of ourselves that can be pretty easily accessed for most people, not necessarily in the extreme enlightened version of it, but uh, in, in a version of the self that's enough there that the self is actually the agent of healing in IFS. That's a key component of it. The therapist is um, not... The, the therapist is, of course, crucial to the process, but the therapist is not the agent of healing. The self is. And that's one of the reasons that IFS lends itself so well to being done on your own. Uh, and that's a lot of what I've done is to help people learn how to do it on their own. Um, so... IFS helps uh, someone to access self and from there to relate to one of the parts that's causing problems in the person's life, to get to know that part from self, to develop a relationship between the self and the part, and then to go through a series of healing steps based on that, on that trusting relationship that gets developed between the self and the part so that the part actually... Um, and this involves accessing childhood origins and a bunch of other stuff. But the, the part basically, um, through the through the IFS process and through its connection with the self, uh, gets to unburden the um, the the pain, the negative beliefs, the protective defenses that it's been carrying, and um, become its true self in a sense, the the part's true self so that it can take on a healthy role in the person's psyche. Okay, now there's a a lot that you're saying here, Jay, so I'm going to tease out a few aspects. Would you say that the goal then in IFS is to reside in the self or to know how to return to the self, or how would you describe the goal? Yeah, I can... the, the, The goal in IFS is... See, when the parts become transformed, they don't just dissolve into the self. They have their own, or at least most of them don't, they have their own healthy roles. You know, they might have a creative part or a part that's really good at being intimate with other people or things like that. So the goal is for the, for the parts to be transformed into healthy roles and for each of the parts to trust the self to be the leader for the internal system so that the self 
And this is not necessarily done in a highly conscious, deliberate form, but the self basically, uh, in the ideal situation, the self is in charge. The self decides how you're going to respond, how you're going to interact with people, uh, how you're going to act in various situations in your life. And then it calls on your different healthy parts to bring in whatever healthy capacities they have that are needed in whatever situation you're in. Okay, now if if someone is listening to this and they're saying, okay, I just want to, first of all, have a litmus test, how do I know if I'm even experiencing this capital S self? How would I know? How would the listener know? Well, um, let me tell you how an ISS client knows, which is not quite the same thing, but it'll lead us in the right direction. Uh, And this is one of the the uh, ingenious things that Dick Schwartz, by the way, Dick Schwartz, Richard Schwartz is the person who developed IFS. I didn't develop IFS. I I was trained by him. Uh, One of the things that he um, figured out was that you can basically, one of the ways, the easy way, if you're trying to work with a part, one of the easy ways to tell whether you're in self or not with respect to that part is to ask yourself, how do I feel toward that part? Do I and do I feel openly curious about it? Do I feel if the part's in pain? Do I feel compassion for the part's pain, or do I feel judgmental, like I'd like to get rid of that part? Or do I feel angry at it, or I do feel like I want that part to change really quickly? You know, if any of those are true, you're not in self. Uh, so that's a kind of easy way to tell when you're trying to work with any given part. Um, whether you're in self or not. Okay. And, you know, of course, in so many Eastern traditions, there's this idea that there is no quote-unquote solid sense of self. And here we're talking about this capital S self in a way like it's a an entity of some kind. Can you help me understand that paradox? I mean, we look inside ourselves, we can't really find something that's solid, lasting, that doesn't change, and yet we're talking here about a capital S self? Well, the self, the, the way the self is understood in IFS is in very broad terms. Um, I mean, you could think of, if you're thinking it in Buddhist terms, you could think of the self as equivalent to Buddha nature. Um, so it's not so much that it's a thing, is that it's more of... One way to look at it is that, in IFS terms, is that the self is is who you naturally are if you are not taken over by any um, parts in extreme roles. So it's kind of, um, it's so it's not, and, and when one of the things I've noticed is that, I mean, Dick Schwartz has identified sort of eight qualities of self, compassion, curiosity, calmness, and so on. But what I've noticed is that when when I'm in self or a client is in self, we're not always in the same place. Like I might be in self and, and really be full of compassion one day. Another day, my self might be characterized by feeling very grounded and calm. And another day, it, it might be just really open curiosity. So it's not so much a, a thing uh, as it is a... Um, it's a sort of way of describing where we are 
when we are sort of are residing in in our spiritual center. Although I, that, again, that sounds like it's a single place. It's not. So that's not. A, that's probably not a good way to say it. Um, sort of when we're just being naturally who we are, without conditioned um, ways of being. Maybe is a better way to say it. Yeah, I think I get a, a sense of it as you're speaking. This calm, compassionate, open, curious way of of being and relating to whatever is coming up. Now, you mentioned that part of your work has been to develop self-therapy, the idea that you can help people even without a therapist in the room learn Mm -hmm. to be more in this capital S self and then relate to their parts. How do you help people, first of all, become more and more grounded in this true self? Well, um, basically what I've helped to do is to teach people the IFS process. And the IFS process basically starts with um, helping people to get into self and to and also to notice when they fall out of self. Um, and in IFS, now, of course, you can do many of the more traditional spiritual things you can you you can meditate you know you can do various spiritual practices and those will definitely help you to be in self uh and in fact some IFS therapists start every session with a short meditation for their clients and and that's certainly a useful thing to do that's one of the things that I do in my classes and in this web application that I'm developing I have a guided meditations to help people get into self but the more fundamental way of doing that in IFS is very interesting. First, you check to see what your attitude is toward the part that you're intending to work with. And let's suppose that you check and you discover that you're feeling... By the way, you know, usually, let me just say, usually the parts that we intend to work with are the parts that are causing us trouble. And so it's not surprising that we might be feel judgmental toward them, like if there's a part of me that's very shy and makes it hard for me to connect with people, I might feel judgmental toward that shy part. I might feel like I want to get rid of it. Um, Or if I have an inner critic that's making my life miserable, I might be really angry at the inner critic. So those are sort of natural responses to parts of ourselves that are problematic, which are the parts that we tend to focus on in therapy. However, those responses are not coming from self. So if I check and realize that I'm feeling judgmental toward this part that I want to work with, um, that first tells me that I'm not in self. And then it, it also lets me know that there's another part there, the judgmental part, the part that feels judgmental toward whatever, the shy part or the inner critic or whatever other part I'm trying to work with. Um, and so what I can do is ask that judgmental part, let's say in this case, if it would be willing to step aside for uh, for this session at least so that I can relate to the part that I'm wanting to work with from a more open place, which is, you know, which is self. Um, and that's basically, well, that's the first step. Now, of course, and now notice that we're asking the part to step aside. We're not telling it. 
Uh, IFS does not coerce parts. It doesn't get into fights with parts. It's a very open. So you ask the part, would you be willing to step aside? And you usually give it a reason. Like, you know, if you're willing to step aside, then I can, you know, engage in a more open way with this part, and that'll help the part to change. And so if the if the judgmental part, in this case, agrees, then I'm probably more likely to be in self. If it doesn't agree, then I ask it, what are you afraid would happen if you stepped aside? And the part might say, well, I'm afraid that this part, you know, is going to take over and do bad things, it's going to hurt you, or it's going to get you in trouble, or whatever. And then I can sort of reassure, usually I can reassure it, whatever it's afraid of, I can reassure it that that isn't going to happen. Um, so it's, um, so that's the kind of process that we use. And um, that's only half of it, because the other half is that I may not be in self because I'm blended with the part that I'm in, in wanting to work with. Like if I'm wanting to work with um, a shy part, for example, Maybe I'm feeling really shy at that moment. So I'm not in self because I am the shy part right then. So if that happens, then I ask the shy part if it would be willing to separate from me. It's the same sort of thing you ask the part. So that's how I, that's the primary way that IFS helps people to get into self is by identifying the parts that are in the way and asking those parts to step, separate or step aside or make room for the self to be there. And are there an unlimited number of parts? I mean, like, there are a thousand possible parts, or this person has a part I've never even conceived of. You know, some part <laughs> they think they're an, they have an alien part. or Does it just go, go on endlessly? Well, in one sense, yes, because every part is unique. Just like every person is unique. Is there an endless number of people? Well... Yes, and there's an endless number of parts. I mean, of course, you can put parts into categories, and I've actually done that. I've developed a whole system that I call the pattern system, which is a way of categorizing parts and understanding the different types of parts and how they interact with each other. But that doesn't mean that every part that's in the same category is the same. Each part is unique. And one of the beauties of IFS, uh, unlike some other forms of psychology or therapy which have... Uh, theories that try to tell you exactly what, you know, this kind of defense is or that kind of part is. Um, IFS encourages people to get to know each of their parts as you, as a unique being in some sense and find out exactly who this part is and what it feels and what it's afraid of and why it does what it does. So I guess that's an answer to your question. So at the end of my commitment and process with IFS therapy, if I decided to really go through it, I would have a a knowledge and a working relationship with self, and there would be these positive parts in me. What would be my relationship to the negative or difficult parts in me? You, You mentioned the judgmental part or the critical part. How would I relate to that part? Well, um... Let me give you two answers to that. One is that ideally um, the parts in negative roles would be transformed. And let me just distinguish that there are two main categories of parts in IFS, protectors and exiles. And protectors are what are equivalent to what are typically called defenses. They try to protect us from feeling pain. 
They try to defend us from being harmed by other people or hurt by other people. And the exiles are young child parts that are carrying pain, usually from childhood. Um, so the, the protectors are actually protecting us against the pain of the exiles or trying to protect the exiles from being hurt in the world. Um, now, ideally, the, the IFS process is designed to heal the exiles so that they're no longer carrying pain or negative beliefs and can become, you know, healthy parts. And therefore, the protectors don't need to do their roles because they don't have to protect against the exiles and they can let go of their defensive roles and also um, play a healthy role in the system. So that's one answer to your question. Now, the other answer, of course, is that nothing's perfect, <laughs> you know, so um, that we all still have some parts that are at least somewhat in problematic roles. And so how do, how do we relate to those parts? Well, ideally, we, we relate to them from self, which means that we're curious about them, we're, we feel compassion for their pain or for their attempts to defend us against pain. Um, we may negotiate with them and say, you know, you don't really need to do the, this defensive. Like if I have a part that's judgmental or if I have a part that withdraws or a part that tries to please people or something like that, we can negotiate with that part and say, you know, right now um, you're, you're probably about to jump in in this situation I'm in because you think it's dangerous and you think you, you need to do one of these things. But it's actually not. You, you think it's dangerous because it was dangerous in childhood, but it's not now. And so maybe you could just trust me and self to handle the situation, and you don't have to jump in and judge people or please people or withdraw or go into your head or whatever it is you do. So that's that's the ideal way to relate to parts is with compassion and um caring and then also negotiating with them to see if they'll trust the self to take the lead in the situations where these parts might ordinarily have. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to SoundsTrue.com backslash free gifts. That's SoundsTrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. I'm wondering if you could offer a concrete example in transforming a negative part and be specific with what part perhaps has been exiled and the role of the protector and how that transformation process might unfold. Maybe an example that you found to be pretty common in people you've worked with. Sure. Well, let's take, um, let's say, procrastination. Let's say somebody tends to procrastinate. And so there's a, a protector that may not even be, um, at first, may not, the person may not even aware that they have a part that's procrastinating. All they know is that they're not getting something done that they intended to get done. 
But if they go inside and start exploring, they'll discover that there's actually a part that doesn't want them to do it. Um, and so then they might um, access self and get to know that part and have a and have a conversation with it and say, okay, I see that you um, you tend to get me distracted or keep me from you know doing these this project I'm trying to do. Um, what are you afraid would happen if you let me do this? Uh, what are you t- or what are you trying to accomplish by keeping me from doing this? And and the part may, might say, well, I'm afraid that if you um, if you start doing this project, um, that you're going to get judged and people are going to tell you that you're stupid and that you're no good. Um, and I don't want that to happen, so I don't want you to do the project. So you notice that this part is not thinking very clearly. <laughs> but that's that's the way a lot of I mean some parts some of our parts have have really have some some wisdom beneath their their extreme roles and and some don't but but they but but often they don't really think totally clearly about what they're doing. All they know is, "Oh my god, I don't want you to to get judged and feel bad." So, no, we're not going to not even going to try something where you might get judged. Um so you get to know the part and you find out you know, more about that, okay, so if I got judged, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid you would feel really bad about yourself or you'd feel ashamed or something. Okay. And so you can kind of, and what happens is you can end up appreciating the part, not not because it's making you procrastinate, but appreciate that this part is actually trying to protect you from something it thinks is dangerous. And your appreciation helps the part to trust you. In self, oh, I see. This person actually gets what I'm doing, and so there's a relaxation to begin with. This part doesn't feel such an extreme need to do its role because they realize this is there's a self there, and the self understands it. But that's only the first part. Then the second. Then you say to the part, so would it be okay if I work? So, or let me let me actually before I do that, let me just say. So this part is procrastinating because it's worried that you'll get judged and you'll feel bad about yourself or ashamed of yourself. Well, that points you to the exile. What that means is that there's an exile that feels bad about yourself and feels ashamed. And this this procrastinating protector is trying to protect you from feeling the pain of that exile or protect that exile from getting triggered to feel that pain. So you ask the protector if it will give you permission to work with the exile. You get to know the exile, and this is usually a young part, um, a child part. Um, and, you, you add, and you find out what happened to it when, it when you were young to make it feel bad about itself. Probably it got judged. And, and so you ask it to show you scenes of when that happened and, and how it made that part feel to the extent that the part really feels that you understand. By the way, the you I'm talking about is self. So you do that until the part really understands, uh, feels that you really understand what it went through as a child. And then you enter that scene in your imagination. You enter that childhood scene and 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 do some healing for the part. Protect it from being judged or reassure it that it's not stupid or that you care about it or take it out of that scene. 
because of course this the the part really isn't in that scene anymore. That scene is thirty, forty, fifty years ago. You can take it out of that scene and bring it into your current life or bring it into your heart. Um, and then ultimately, the other thing, the the, the final step, um, is called unburdening, and the the shame or the bad feeling about the self that this part is carrying is called a burden in IFS. And the understanding is that that's not who the part really is. That's just a part, a burden the part's carrying, and so it can be released. And so there's an internal ritual actually in IFS where you can. Um, where the part releases the burden to light or has it washed away by water. There's a you know, bunch of different options. But it basically uh, releases the, its burdens of shame and bad feelings and so on and allows the part to attain its natural state of curiosity or openness or self-esteem or relaxation or whatever it might be. And then you go back to the procrastination part and say, hey, you see what happened? This exile is no longer in pain. It's no longer in danger. You know, if somebody judges me, it won't be that big a deal anymore because the part's been healed. It's not carrying this this shame anymore. So do you still feel like you have to procrastinate? And usually the protector will say, no, I guess I don't. So, well, let's go into the example a little bit more because I was completely with you with the procrastination protecting me from judgment and failure and yeah, all of that. What do you think, again, just working perhaps as a sort of composite from the many clients you've worked with, uh, you know, this is a common example, could you help me understand more what might have happened to create the exile? What would be a specific example from someone's childhood that would create this exiled part? Oh, let's say um, you, you, as a child, you were um, you were having difficulty with your homework, and so you know your father tried to help you, and and um, for whatever reason, you didn't get it right away, and so he got angry and yelled at you, and and this happened over and over again. Um, so that's that's an example of something that might happen that would produce an exile that felt ashamed and incompetent. I mean, just the word exile, I find extremely heavy. I have to say, oh, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a, it's a, very, strong, right. it's oh, a okay. very strong word. Well, the reason they're called exiles is because they typically, I mean, it's, it's, they are typically exiled from our consciousness. Um, we usually don't, Realize unless we unless you've done work on yourself and you there become aware of these things, you know somebody who's procrastinating may not even be aware of the protector. But usually we are aware of our protectors. You know if we get angry, we're aware of it. If we get judgmental, we're aware of it. If we're a people pleaser, we're usually aware of it. But we're often not have no awareness of the underlying pain, the underlying exile that's being protected by these various activities because it's been exiled from literally from our consciousness. And so that's why, that's, that's why they're called exiles. And then how does IFS help me become aware of these exiled parts? How do I start bringing them into consciousness? I'm curious about that. And also, are they sort of like frozen in time from when I was eight years old? And yeah. I, I mean, they're just sort of sitting there as a sort of frozen, solid, exiled part of me? 
They're they're pretty frozen. Yeah, they're, at least to a certain extent, they they believe that they that um, that they're back in that original childhood situation with the father yelling yelling at them about the homework. Now that's not strictly true. They also may paradoxically be aware of what's going on in your current life too. Um, and by the way, the protectors, many of them are also frozen in time. It's it's true of all parts that are in extreme roles. In some sense, the protect like like one of the things we'll sometimes do is ask a protector, "How old do you think I am?" And the protector will say, three years old," because it thinks you're the exile. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're stuck in time. And uh, what was the other thing you asked? Oh, I know. How do you get in touch with the excess? How do you access them? That's what you asked. Um, basically, well, there's a couple ways. Sometimes the protector will show you the exile if you ask it, because it actually knows what exile is protecting. Um, sometimes the exile will actually appear as you're working with the protector. Sometimes, well, sometimes the feelings of the exile will actually come up, and you actually feel, in this case, the shame or the the negative feeling, or sometimes you'll actually get an image of the exile sort of behind the protector. Uh, but the other thing is just by asking the protector what it's afraid of, it usually sort of tells you. It says if, I'm a, I'm afraid, if it says I'm afraid you're going to be judged and you're going to feel shame, then you know there's an exile that feels shame. And usually that's enough. If I just point that out to a client to so there must be an exile that feels shame and ask them to access it, usually they don't have much trouble once they've gotten that far. I'm wondering, Jay, if you could share an example from your own work with yourself on a protector and an exile and the unburdening process and how that worked for you. Sure. Let's see if I can remember. Um, Well, let's see. One exile that I worked with quite a few times is an exile who felt... um, Deprived. You know, I was I was um, bottle fed and schedule fed as an infant, so I didn't get. Uh, so I was hungry a lot, as anybody who was who was treated that way, and I also didn't get a lot of physical affection from my mother. So I have an exile who feels deprived, both uh, of food and of love and uh, physical touch. And um, so, part of the part of my work with that exile has been t- for me to to love it, to to hold it, to stroke it, to to let it know that I love it through words and also just through my heart. Um, And there, there were um, when I was working with an IFS therapist. There were also a couple sessions where I, um, I kind of evoked a sort of um, ideal mother figure who mothered the exile. That that was also part of how it worked. Um, now that's not the unburdening step. That's the what I call the reparenting step. It's an earlier step in the process. Um, I don't remember exactly how the unburdening went, but it would probably, you know, that 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 exile um, carries um, 
pain, um, grief, feelings of being unlovable, things like that. So uh, those things could, um, I don't remember actually how, how I did it, but those things could be released to um, release to light or um, how, what I would tend to do, maybe, um, maybe have, have them washed away, um, blown away by wind. Um, do you have a sense now that that deprived part of you, just it's not there anymore, it's been completely transformed? Is that your sense? Not completely. And then so when, when it comes up now, how, how do you relate to it? Um, well, let me just say, it's even though it's still there, it's much less burdened. Uh, I have, um, like, for example, I used to, if, if my wife would go away for a weekend or a week, I would usually, this exile would usually be in a lot of pain. Now there's much less difficulty if that happens. And if I am aware of it, I usually just take time to... Um, Tune into exile to 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 give it love to hold it, you know, in my imagination. Um, so, I, in, in a sense, I relate to it the same way I was talking about doing in some of these sessions that I did. But I just do it kind of spontaneously if I feel a need to. You know, Jay, I think the thing that in everything you're saying that sticks with me is like, could this really work? is that people could do this kind of work on their own. That, I mean, when you're talking about exiles and deprived parts from very, very early in our life, you know, I'm someone who's been in therapy for a really long time, you know, in my adult life. And I'm just trying to imagine, could somebody actually do that kind of deep work? I mean, even just the word exile, with these exiled parts of us where we we kind of go blank or there's so much pain. I mean, that's why they're exiled. Can we actually do this on our own? Um, it varies. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what my experience is. Um, I have taught, for years I've taught IFS classes to people. And, um, and in the classes, people pair up for homework and and kind of witness each other doing the work with some help from the from their partner. Of course, their partner's not a therapist, but their partner's just taking the class. Um, and I've definitely found that in my classes, people can really do that. Most people, not everybody. They're people who are seriously in need of therapy and have very deep, you know, traumatic issues. No, they can't do it on their own, or it's very rare that somebody like that can do it on their own. But most people can. At least now in the classes. Now they have the the support of the class. They also have the support of the partner that they're working with. It's it's for most people. It's easier to do that kind of work with a partner witnessing them than it is to do it completely by themselves. Although some people prefer to do it by themselves. So uh, and I've certainly had many people even after the class is over, and I encourage them to you know, continue with one of their partners and, and have a regular partnership, and many people do. And I know some people that have, you know, done had a regular IFS partner that they've worked with for years. And I know some people do it on their own. 
And now the other experience I have is I wrote a book called Self Therapy, um, which was published about four years ago, which um, tells people, shows people how to do this process. And I've gotten many emails from people, and I didn't know, you know, how how well people would do <laughs> on their own with just the book. And I've gotten many emails from people who said that it's been a life changer for them. Um, so that's what I now. Of course, I've also gotten many calls from people who started working with the book, loved IFS, and felt like they couldn't go far enough on their own, and so they wanted therapy. So there's also that too. Many people can only go so far on their own, and they need additional help. Well, I think part of what's so potentially revolutionary about this, even for people to do this in partnership with other people who aren't therapists, is, of course, a large obstacle for a lot of people as they say they can't afford therapy. I mean, That's right. You know, over, over the course of many years, it costs tens of thousands of dollars. And, and here I could partner with somebody, and I mean, that's, that's very profound. Yep. Yes, I think it's made it accessible to a lot more people. Now, Jay, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work with helping people use IFS to work with the inner critic and this very radical idea that it's possible that the inner critic is actually trying to help us in some way. (laughs) I wonder if you can explain that. How could the inner critic, this pain that, that, that is making my life miserable day after day, telling me everything that's wrong with me, be trying to help me. So let me, yeah, so let me make it clear. It's trying to help you. It's not necessarily helping you, but it's trying. Um, that's, that's what has been discovered in IFS. The inner critic is a protector, and like all protectors, um, it is, they, they are actually trying to help us. Well, here, here's, a, here's a common example Let's suppose um, you got criticized a lot by your father or your mother as a child, and um, that brought up, that caused an exile to be in a lot of pain. So you often have a critic that criticizes you in a similar way. Now, partly you might say, well, that's just you've inter- that part is internalized your father or your mother, uh, and, and to a certain extent that is true. But if you actually go in and ask the part what it's trying to do by, or what it's trying to protect you from, very often it's trying to... Here's, here's a classic one. Let's say your father says, you're not working hard enough. What's the matter with you? You know, you lazy bum. You should be getting A's and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's trying to, you know, the criticism is about not, not being successful and not working hard enough or not, you know, getting good enough grades or whatever it might be. So you end up with a... Uh, very often you'll end up with an inner critic that is trying to get you to be successful enough that your father won't criticize you. Now, of course, the only model this critic has for how to get you there is the model from your father, and so it does it in the same destructive way that your father did. But its intent is to try to protect you from your father. (laughs) I know that sounds a little crazy, but... Um, parts often don't realize the impact that they're having. So that's one example. Here's another one, just another sort of different um, slant on it. There are some critics that we call underminers that are afraid 
that if you go out into the world and 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 speak up or make yourself visible or be powerful that you're going to get attacked. And so they're really they want to protect you from being attacked and so they undermine your self-confidence by telling you that you're no good and you can't be successful and don't even try and and therefore prevent you from taking any risks and putting yourself in situations where you might get attacked. So you see the intent of the critic there is to protect, to keep you from being attacked. Uh, of course, it's attacking you, so you might say, what a stupid thing to do, and yes, that's true. <laughs> but our parts don't realize that, um, they usually don't realize that the harm they're causing. All they do know is that they're trying to protect us from something else. So there's a couple examples. And the beautiful thing about this is that it means you don't have to fight with your inner critics. You don't have to try to get rid of them. You know, you don't have to battle with them. You don't have to try to be stronger than they are because they're actually trying to help you. So you can actually get to know them from a compassionate, open place, find out what they're trying to do, find the exiles they're trying to protect, heal the exiles, and, and help the critics to let go. Now, other approaches I've heard to working with the inner critic, and I'm curious what you think about this. I mean, I, I've actually interviewed people here for Insights at the Edge who say, you know, out with you, critic, banish you, be out. Just gone, 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 you're gone now, gone. Uh-huh. Do you think that approach has any merit? Well, you know, it has limited merit. Um, there are, I mean, it can work um, to some extent, um, but for many people, it only works temporarily. And then the critic comes back in just as strong as ever. Um, it also tends to create um, an internal conflict inside because, you know, you're now you're fighting against this part of you and trying to get rid of it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fight back. Um, so, yes, you can get some relief that way. I certainly, I mean, before I discovered IFS, that's what I did. I fought with my critics. <laughs> and I got some relief. Um, but, um, I, you know, I know many people who have uh, employed that method because I'm, um, I used to be a student of the Diamond Approach for many, many years. And that's um, one of the things they do in the Diamond Approach. And even though it is, again, effective to a certain extent, many, many people, you know, said, you know, my critic keeps coming back. It keeps being a problem. You know, it goes away and then it comes back. And uh, You know, so, no, I don't think that's, it's a very understandable approach. Um, but I don't think it's very, very effective in the long run. And even the diamond approach doesn't only use that. They have other things that they do after that that are, that are more effective. Um, okay, so in your book, Freedom from Your Inner Critic, a self-therapy approach, along with Bonnie Weiss, you have a quiz, and the quiz helps the reader identify which type of critic, and you have seven different types of critic that you've found are common parts inside people, which of these uh, seven types the person might be. And I, I went through and filled out the questionnaire, 
and discovered, I'm going to say now, that I have a perfectionist, a very strong perfectionist Mm -hmm. inner critic. And I'm curious to know, once again, if you could take us through it as an example, not necessarily focusing on me, but just focusing on anyone who might identify this strong type of inner critic, how they could work with this perfectionist type, this perfectionist voice inside. Sure. Well, one of the most common motivations for the perfectionist inner critic is to either to get you love or praise or affection by being perfect or to prevent you from being judged or um, shamed or uh, rejected for not being perfect enough, Um, which usually comes because that's what happened as a child. You were judged or shamed or rejected or whatever, um, and you were told it was because you weren't good enough. And so, or, or, or maybe your parents had extremely high standards for you in a certain area, and so a part of you said, well, I gotta, I gotta try to make you be perfect enough that, that, that you'll get their love. And so here's, here's what we gotta do, is try to be as perfect as possible and meet these, you know, super high standards. So that's, that's a common motivation for the, for a perfectionist. And so, if you can keep that in mind when you're working with a perfectionist critic, it'll help you because, you know, one of the trickiest things in IFS and working with an inner critic is to be in self because the critic is causing you so much pain that it's very common. Once you realize that the pain is coming from a critic and not because it's the truth about you, the, the first response is, I hate the critic. I want to get rid of it. Well, that's not self. So, but if you can if you can know that this critic is probably trying to help you in in the way that I just mentioned for the perfectionist, um, then it helps you to be in self. You can have com- compassion and understanding, and then you can go in and actually find out the details. And this is I'm just giving you my best guess as what a perfectionist might be doing, but everybody's going to be unique. So you have to go in and get to know your perfectionist and find out exactly what it's trying to protect you from by trying to get you to be perfect. Um, and then make a connection with the perfectionist and then find out, you know, and then access the exile or exiles that it's protecting, which are usually exiles that, as I said, that got, you know, got judged or shamed or abandoned or rejected or whatever for not being perfect enough. Now, you also bring in these other parts, these positive parts that can help with this process of freeing oneself from the critic, the inner champion and the inner mentor. And and I wonder if you can talk about those parts. How do I get them to to help me in this process? (laughs) Yeah, what we discovered is that um, some people just naturally do this. They have uh, a part of them that, that champions them, that says, um, let's take the perfectionist as an example. So your inner champion might say, um, you're, you're perfectly fine the way you are. You don't, have to, you don't have to be perfect to be okay. Um, you know, or it might say, 
it's fine to experiment. You know, one of the one of the problems with perfectionists is they have terrible trouble with learning or experimentation. Because when you're learning, you're not perfect. And when you're experimenting, you're not perfect. And so they have a very hard time letting us learn new things or experiment with things. So your inner champion might say, it's okay to experiment. It's, it's good to experiment. So the inner champion is basically... Um, Almost, it's like the voice of a really healthy, supportive parent that gives you these, that supports you in being who you are. Because the critic tells you that you're not, that you, that you shouldn't be who you are. You should be somebody else, and and tells you you're no good. Whereas your inner champion tells you that you're perfectly fine the way you are, and supports you being the way you are, and tells you, you have the right to be who you are, and you have the right to, to do things with ease instead of working your tail off to be perfect and things like that. So, so And it's a voice that you can develop. Um, in addition to doing IFS, this isn't really IFS exactly. It's something that you can develop by getting in touch with what, what voices, what, what, what words would you like to hear from an ideal supportive parent or inner champion? What would you like to hear it say? Um, and then... What do you imagine it would look like, and who does it remind you of? Who would you like from your past who was like that? Would you? And you can sort of build up an inner champion that says the right things and cares about you and supports you and encourages you. Uh, and then you can call on it when you need to, uh, especially if you're getting flack from your inner critic. <laughs> and then the inner mentor? The inner mentor is... Well, sometimes, so here's a whole other thing. See, inner critics, uh, some inner critic parts are just plain wrong. They just tell us things that aren't true about ourselves. Some inner critics tell us things that are true, but they do it in a harsh way. So let's suppose that you aren't working hard enough. Let's suppose that you um, tend to overeat or whatever it might be. So you might have a critic that that really shames you for overeating or a critic that pushes you to work harder in a nasty, harsh way. Those are we don't want those. But you do need to have a part if if you're eating too much, you do need need to have a part that helps you moderate your eating. And if you aren't working hard enough, you do need to have a part that encourages you to work harder, but instead of doing it in a harsh way or a judgmental way, the way a critic would do it, the inner mentor is a part of you that helps you to grow, that helps you to change, helps you to improve yourself, but in a kindly, caring, encouraging way. So that's that's the inner mentor. I'm curious now with your work with internal family systems therapy, if you've come to see that this approach is really good with certain kinds of challenges, like freeing the inner critic, but it's not really that good with other kinds of challenges. And, and if that's the case, which applications does it seem more effective and less effective in addressing? You know, um, well, let me say one thing is that IFS is very, is not the only, it's very good with trauma. Um, so I can definitely say that. Uh, but I have to tell you, my experience is that it's more that IFS is less effective with certain types of people than it is with certain types of issues. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't think I found any issues that I don't think that I think IFS is not 
effective with. But certain types of people, very intellectual people who have a hard time feeling themselves, have a hard time really getting in touch with their parts because they're so stuck in their head, they have trouble doing a, you know, IFS doesn't work, at least my experience, it doesn't work so well with them, whereas it works extremely well with artistic people who, you know, can just go inside and they have this rich inner life of parts just popping up in front of them. Um, so so that's more the distinction I would make is is the, the, the kind of people that it's effective with. Although I'm a very intellectual person and IFS was great with me, so that doesn't always hold either. <laughs> and, and I just have one final question for you, Jay. Here you've now made a series of audio programs with Sounds True on self-therapy to complement your book of the same title, and you've published this book on freedom from your inner critic, a self-therapy approach. And I'm curious what's next for you. What other ways do you want to take internal family systems therapy and apply these teachings and help people use them in their life? What's the frontier for you? Well, the frontier for me right now is a web application that I'm, I've been de- developing actually for almost three years now called Self-Therapy Journey. Um, and it is uh, probably going to be the first of its kind. It's going to be a general purpose application where people can go on the web and basically work on psychological issues. It's not a substitute for therapy, of course, but it's a way that people, and it's based on both IFS and something called the pattern system that I've developed, which is a way of categorizing and putting into a system different types of parts. But it's a way that people will be able to log in take a quiz, identify a particular pattern like procrastination or people-pleasing or perfectionism or one of 25 others to start with, Uh, identify a pattern that they have that they like to change, and they'll be able to go in and um, fill out a lot of checklists and read about the pattern and, and write about it and check off things about it and really learn in detail about how their pattern operates and where it comes from in their past, and they'll be able to do guided meditations, which will, which are IFS oriented, which will actually help them take them through parts of an IFS session and getting to know their part that has that pattern, and then set up a homework practice where they can practice um, developing a healthy capacity instead of that pattern, supported by an inner champion. So it's a whole fairly complex, very exciting new thing that I'm doing. Which I, which I think will make um, inner work and psych, or rather psychological work um, available to uh, a much wider range of people, even than the people who have learned to do IFS. I, I think this, hopefully this will reach even a wider set of people uh, in a way that's so that they'll be able to get many of the benefits of therapy without spending anywhere near the amount of money. Beautiful. What a fabulous application of technology. I've been talking with Jay Early with Sounds True. Jay has published a new six-session audio learning course on self-therapy, how to transform stuck parts of ourselves into inner resources of strength, love, and freedom. And also with co-author Bonnie Weiss, a new book called Freedom from Your Inner Critic, A Self-Therapy Approach. 
Jay, thank you so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge. Thanks, Tammy. It's always good to talk to you. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.